What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. We're on episode 99 here. I can't believe it. We're closing in on triple digits, guys. How exciting. So today, we're talking about Super Bowl futures. We are recording this Wednesday, September 7th. I'm on my lunch break here at work, and we're just about 30 hours away from kickoff here on Thursday night with the Rams and Bills. We've got last year's Super Bowl champs taking on this year's Super Bowl favorites, so why not record a Super Bowl futures episode? I'm going to keep this one pretty short. I've got five Super Bowl futures that I want to get out to you guys before the season starts this week. I know it's kind of last minute, um, but like I said, this shouldn't take too long. You can still grab these numbers ahead of Thursday and even this Sunday. Um, Before we get into the five picks that I've got for you, I do want to just take a minute, kind of preface this episode, explain to you guys some of my intentions here. I realize that five teams cannot mathematically, you know, win the Super Bowl in the same season. I understand this, guys. It seems a little kooky here. If you're new to gambling or if you're not as completely enthralled in this world as I am here, um, it makes no sense, right? But for me, I attack these a couple of different ways. First off, they're just fun. They are. To have a stake on a, a team you know, that you get to hold on to for four, five, six, seven months, depending. I mean, I've held futures from you know April until January before. Last year, as we get into, you know, I will recap some of my recent futures. Last year, I, you know, I grabbed the Packers at 17 to one during the whole Rogers holdout thing back in May and, and held that the entire season on their way to a number one seed in the NFC. So <clears throat> not only is this stuff... You know, it's fun. It keeps you invested over the long haul. You can you can hold on to this shit for a year, almost like a stock portfolio. But on the other hand, you know, they don't have to hit in order for you to get, um, you know, a return on some value here, maybe an opportunity to hedge your way out. If you take a long shot and they end up over exceeding expectations, you have a lot of options once they get into the playoffs. I don't do free ads here, but there are certain websites out there where if you are betting a brick and mortar ticket, you have a physical ticket, you can go and auction it online if your ticket increases in value over the course of the season. It's a concept I've brought up a few times here on this show. So we're not always looking to like pick the Super Bowl champion with these. We're looking to get teams that have, you know, their their value on the Super Bowl odds right now don't match my perception and my perception doesn't match public perception. You know, the first team that I will talk about, not to jump too far ahead, is the Saints here at 40 to 1, and that's an example here. I don't expect the Saints to win the Super Bowl, but I think they're a danger, dangerous enough team to get into the playoffs and give me an opportunity to fuck around with that 40 to 1 odds. So I will be breaking this episode up into segments on the five teams, just like I did with our win totals. Before we dive into that, I want to take a step back. I mentioned I want to recap some of my recent Super Bowl futures so that you guys have an idea on whether or not I know what I'm fucking talking about here. I'm not just going to come out and, you know, talk out the side of my asshole. So... In 2021, I placed three Super Bowl futures. I did the best to find the data that I could. I've got a, I've got future examples all the way back to 2018 for you guys. Um, 2019, I could not find my bets anywhere. Don't know where 2019 went. It is a lost year in my gambling records. Anyways, last year, you guys remember hopefully how the season ended up. Um, with the Rams winning the Super Bowl, obviously. My three uh, Super Bowl futures last year, the Green Bay Packers at 17 to 1. I got them plus 1,700 during the Rodgers holdout. The odds were just so inflated because the thought was he could get traded before the season. Um, 
I got the Tennessee Titans at plus 24.50. I got them on one book at 2,800, but I grabbed 24.50 as my official price given out. And then I got the Pittsburgh Steelers at 40 to 1, plus 4,000. If you guys remember last year, Packers 17 to 1, they won 13 regular season games and grabbed the number one seed in the NFC. Titans 24 to 1. Won 12 games last year, grabbed the number one seed in the AFC. I had both number one seeds at over 17 to 1 value going into the playoffs there with a first round bye and home field advantage. Those teams fucked me and they choked. But guys, I mean, I bet this shit in May and in August going into the season and we ended up with two number one seeds last year. That's the kind of expected increase in value that you can get on some of these props. Pittsburgh, although, you know, kind of a mediocre team from perception, they got into the playoffs last year, guys. My 40 to 1 bet last year got in. They were the seventh seed in the AFC, and they got trounced by the Chiefs, but they were a live dog. And that's what you want when you take a 40 to 1 long shot on this shit. In 2020, I only placed two Super Bowl futures, I believe. I, uh, again, Pittsburgh Steelers, I seem to bet them every year for the Super Bowl because they've been constantly undervalued in the last three years of Ben's career, and they always make the playoffs. So I grabbed the Steelers at 28-1. to If you guys remember, that was the season that they started 11-0. and uh, They finished the number three seed in the AFC. Didn't win their playoff game. Everything fell apart. The team couldn't stay healthy. The O-line was a mess. I get it. But, hey, guys, once again, you know, through 11 weeks of the season, they were undefeated, and I had the number one team in the AFC at 28 to 1 odds. I also took the Seahawks that season in 2020 at plus 1650 odds. They also went 12 and 4. They were also the three seed in their conference. Through 11 weeks of the season, guys, the Seahawks and the Steelers were both the number one seeds in both conferences at 8 and 3 and 11 and 0, respectively. And through week 13, we're looking at still both number one seeds. We're looking at 10 and 3 for the Seahawks and 11 and 2 for the Steelers. Those were my two futures in 2020. I mentioned I couldn't find 2019. And just off the top of my head in 2018, I didn't have records for this either. Obviously, my official Super Bowl records don't go back previous to 2020 when I started tracking this stuff a little bit more. But I do remember in 2018 very specifically um, betting the Chiefs at 31 to 1. And that was Pat Mahomes' first year as a starting quarterback. If you guys remember, uh, that team uh, won 12 games in the regular season and clinched the number one seed in the AFC. Does that sound familiar on this podcast so far? 12 wins and a number one seed. Does that sound familiar at all? Um, and then I got the Chargers at 26 to 1 that year as well. And they ended up taking the fifth seed in the AFC in Phillip Rivers last season there, I believe. Um, ended up beating the Ravens in the wild card and then losing in the divisional round of the playoffs that year to the Patriots. So in 2018, I had two of the four final teams in the AFC at 26 to 1 and 31 to 1, including the Chiefs at 31 to 1 plus 3,100 to win the Super Bowl in 2018. Um, they lost in overtime to the Patriots because of a um, offsides penalty on D Ford's right hand. So if it weren't for that, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl that year at 31 to 1. So this is not to sit here and brag, but I want to give you guys a recap on some of the successes I've had recently and some of the uh, reasons why I'm trying to attack these teams this year. So that being said, let's go ahead and do our breakdown. I'm going to pause again, and when I come back, I will tell you why I'm betting on the New Orleans Saints at 40 to 1. 
So as we go into this episode, I am going to be breaking down my Super Bowl futures in order of longest odds to shortest odds. And my long shot for this year is the New Orleans Saints at plus 4,000 to win the Super Bowl. I've talked about the Saints on my win totals episode, and I've talked about them on my Instagram page as well in the video that I put together. If you guys aren't following, I am putting a lot of content out on the Instagram page that is not being put out in these full episodes. So please make sure you're following at SGRPod. That said, I'll kind of go over briefly the reasons why I do believe in this team. I grabbed them over on their win total. I think they'll make the playoffs uh, as a wild card, most likely. I mean, the Bucks are tough, and they'll probably be able to compile regular season wins like they usually are. But the Saints team is 4-0 in the regular season against the Bucks, So, you know, they have a shot to stay in the hunt there in the division. Um, their schedule to me doesn't look overwhelming. They've got four games against the Panthers and Falcons combined, which should be relatively easy. Um, knock on wood here. Um, but this team, you know, they scratched and clawed to nine wins last year, despite starting four QBs, really three of which have no business playing football in the NFL outside of maybe Taysom Hill getting snaps on special teams and tight end. Um, but Trevor Simeon and Ian Book, I mean, Simeon's actually not that bad. He's a decent backup. But the point is, no consistency, no continuity, a bunch of injuries on this team. Specifically, quarterback play was bad and no talent at the receiver position last year for this offense. It was pretty much Alvin Kamara and the O-line and then piecing it together the rest of the time. Um, but if Winston can stay healthy, I think it does a lot for this team. This uh, team started the season 5-2 and two last year and Winston's seven starts. And he's not really an injury-prone player, um, so I don't think that it's something we have to worry about, you know, re-aggravating, hopefully. I mentioned the, the receivers were awful. They brought in Jarvis Landry, the hometown boy from LSU. Um, Michael Thomas, maybe he's healthy, maybe he's not. But if he, if he can even just stay on the field, he doesn't have to be dominant, you know, 2019 Michael Thomas when he's setting records. If he's just a guy, kind of that big slot, I think that helps. And then Chris Olave, first-round pick. I'm really excited to see how this kid plays. He's a stud out of um, Ohio State, excuse me, almost said Iowa. Um, all those fucking Midwesterns over there. Don't get angry at me. Uh, Olave, really good player. I mean, Ohio State just produces nothing but stud receivers. The fact that the Saints were able to find Michael Thomas as kind of a, I don't want to say diamond in the rough, but he wasn't projected to be what he had become in the NFL. And I think Olave, like if a team can scout and they have a history of success at that position out of that school, I think I, I just kind of make that connection. I think this offense will be much better and Olave could bring a lot of explosion. I mean, their leading receiver last year had less than 700 yards. Uh, the defense was already top four last year. Another hometown boy from LSU, Tyron Matthew comes over. They got some real dogs in that secondary. Um, Demario Davis, at the linebacker position, they got a pass rush with Cam Jordan. Just an overall good roster. There's coaching turnover. Dennis Allen um, is in his first year as a head coach since his failed stint with the Raiders, but that was the Raiders, and nobody worked out there. Um, <clears throat> Sean Payton's gone. Drew Brees is gone. But Dennis Allen's been here since 2015 as the D.C., and Pete Carmichael's been here the entire time under Sean Payton as the O.C., so play callers are still there. Um I'm not that worried about the overturning coaching, really. So I, I just I think that this team is being severely undervalued. Forty to one doesn't make sense to me. Only a win total of eight and a half doesn't make sense to me. And I mentioned just if you get into the tournament at forty to one, you know, 
there's only potential. This team with the defense that they have and the strong running game, Kamara, you know, hopefully he can avoid a suspension here. I guess maybe that fucks me, but I think they have the kind of formula that once you get into the playoffs, they could be a difficult out. I really believe that. So as far as a team, when I'm looking through the odds and I'm seeing who can I take along, because all my other ones, I'm going to be honest, are 25 to 1 or under, um, and most of them are in the 20 ballpark. Like, I'm looking through the odds, and I'm seeing, like, okay, like, Dolphins, Vikings, uh, like, some of these random teams. I don't know, the Panthers I'm not betting on. Who can I take a long shot on? And this team at 40-1, to just, to me, this should have been more like a 25-1 to or so, like the next team I'm going to talk about. So I just saw too much of a value. I like this Saints team to get into the playoffs in the NFC. I think teams like Dallas and maybe the Cardinals are um, maybe likely to take a step back, and the Saints team can elevate into that playoff picture this year. So give me the Saints at 40 to one. Second Super Bowl future, another team that I have cut a video on my Instagram for as far as picking them to win their division. I'm taking the Colts to win the Super Bowl at 25 to one. Plus 2,500 is my odds. I already bet them to win their division at minus 125. I would have taken the over, but at minus 160 on nine and a half wins, I'd rather just take the division. I see this team being better than the Titans this year, as on paper they got better and the Titans got worse. The Titans lost some significant guys. So I think with their soft schedule as well, having a, a very easy, I think the third easiest schedule in the entire NFL here for the Colts, um, it, it, I see an opportunity where this team can compile regular season wins. I think Matt Ryan coming over is going to make them just so much more sturdy and consistent. This team lost games in the beginning of the season and at the end of the season that they probably shouldn't have lost. Um, they kind of played down to the level of their competition at times, especially back in week 18 against the Jags. You can't blame Carson Wentz for all of that because it takes 53 guys to lose a football game. But um, I just I think that this Colts team has an ugly taste in their mouth last year. Uh, ownership definitely was not happy. Wentz was not the right fit for this team. I hate how his career has turned out because I've rooted for him since he was drafted as an Eagle. And it just doesn't seem like the Colts were the right situation. You know, this team needs to be run through Jonathan Taylor. And it seems like at times Wentz was willing to check out of runs and, um, you know, extend plays and hold the ball too long and run around and try and make shit happen when it's really not there. And, you know, he puts the ball in, in too many risky positions. He, he's, I don't want to say injury prone, but his play style maybe makes him more uh, susceptible to injury, if that makes sense. The guy plays a football game like it's a goddamn demolition derby every time he steps out there. And so I think Matt Ryan, you know, he's going to sit in that pocket and he's going to keep the offense on time and on schedule. And he's going to keep the boys disciplined and accountable. Jim Ursay has said that Matt Ryan looks like a goddamn Navy SEAL or an astronaut, right? To ship off to space when he's, you know, lining up his helmet or strapping up his helmet, rather, you know. He comes in with that kind of CEO level of, I'm I'm here to run this practice, this is my team kind of shit, where, unfortunately, I think Wentz, from a mental standpoint, wasn't there last year after really just, you know, the whole thing in Philly. I think Philly broke Wentz, unfortunately. As an Eagles fan, Philly broke Wentz. It's pretty brutal to watch, but I think the vibes for this Colts team are good. Jonathan Taylor is obviously an elite running back. 
Michael Pittman, I really trust to take a breakout this year. I love him intangibly. I think he's got the dog in him. And to be honest, I'm sick of people overusing that term these days. It seems like every asshole with a podcast, that's the only phrase that they can come up with. But I'm an asshole with a podcast, so here I am. <clears throat> the Colts, I think, is a good they're they're a good team. It's tough to really pick. I'm not about picking those top teams in the AFC this year because I just think the AFC is so deep. I'd rather find a team that can get increased value. I think that they will win their division. And with a running game and a defense that are both really the most consistent and reliable in the league, um, I think they got a chance. Again, it's kind of what I mentioned with the Saints. Their defense and their running game are so good that I think if you get into the tournament, you can fuck around with anybody here. And this Colts defense, you know, not only were they good last year, they got, you know, perennial defensive player of the year candidate in Shaquille Leonard over there at middle linebacker. They bring in Stephon Gilmore and Yannick Ngakwe, a couple of, you know, Pro Bowl caliber players here to add to an already strong unit. Um, This team just looks like they're ready to just be the consistent, the consistent team that you would expected them to be last year, given the way that they're built and their personnel. You know, I I think they're ready to kind of get their shit together. I think last year, again, they got to shake off the bad taste and, and get back to winning the games that they should and pulling off some upsets when they're not expected. So yeah, um, 25 to one, I think it's good value for the Colts here. We're going to keep it moving. I will give you my next one in just a second. My next Super Bowl future is on the Baltimore Ravens at 20 to 1. I got plus 2,000 on the Ravens win the Super Bowl this year. And honestly, this is the first one that I thought about betting this season. When I started pulling up Super Bowl odds way back in March before the NFL draft even took place, this was the one that kind of jumped off to p- the page to me. The the Ravens and the Colts, really. Um, and, and it was the Colts even, I think, before the Matt Ryan trade that was kind of jumping off the page. But, you know, we just talked about them. Back to the Ravens here. To me, this is a team that's dangerous as shit. They dropped off last year because of injury, and I talked about it on our win totals episode again. I'm on this team over nine and a half wins, and I'm on them to win their division. They're favored to win their division over the Bengals. They're at like plus 140 right now. The Bengals are at like plus 165, even though they're the returning AFC champs. This Ravens team, before Lamar got injured last year, had the number one seed in the AFC. People forget, this team finished 0-6 because they didn't have their starting QB, they didn't have half their defense and their entire starting secondary, they didn't have half their O-line. You know, Ronnie Stanley missed 10 games for this team, their starting, right, or their starting offensive guards combined for 10 games missed. And then again, Marcus Peters gone for the full season, Marlon Humphrey gone the last five games of the season in that secondary, that's both starting corners. What did you want from this team last year? I mean, they didn't have either starting running back, J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards, and they were still able to get off to an 8-3 and three start through 11 weeks with guys like Devontae Freeman and the corpse of Le'Veon Bell back there. So this is a team that if they stay healthy, they're going to be good. Harbaugh's gotten this team to eight seasons with double-digit wins and 10 winning seasons in his 14 uh, years as head coach of the Ravens. He's won 48 and 96 overall. He's got two 8-8 eight eight seasons and only two losing seasons in his 14 years. Those only two seasons were last year when Jackson only played 12 games, really 11 and a quarter. And then Joe Flacco only made 10 starts for them in, I think, 2015, and, and they had a down year. But outside of that, this guy, he goes above 500 every single fucking year. 
This team's going to be in the playoffs. The AFC is tough, but this team is tough. <clears throat> the way that they're built through that physical running game gives this team an advantage. Week in, week out, these teams prepare for aired-out offenses, and they prepare to try and stop quarterbacks like Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. And then all of a sudden, the fucking bullies who just want to run the ball down your throat 40 times a game come in, and you are not used to playing against it in the NFL. And they're physical, this team. They will beat you up. And over the course of a season, if you get a team that wants to hit you harder than you want to hit them, especially late in the season and especially in the playoffs in January, I'm telling you, I think this team is dangerous. I think Lamar's got a chip on his shoulder this year. People want to continue to call this guy a running back. He's a franchise quarterback, people. I'm on Team Lamar. I am. Put on 15 pounds of muscle this offseason. He still doesn't have his contract. He wants a contract. He's seeing guys like Russ and Watson and Kyler get paid all around him, and he wants the bag. And I think he's a guy that's willing to bet on himself. And we've seen the Ravens allow quarterbacks to bet on themselves in the past with that Joe Flacco Super Bowl year. So I think that a lot of shit's lining up here for this Ravens team to really bounce back. Again, the only reason they weren't in the playoffs last year was because of the absolutely devastating injury uh, luck, I should say, here. And, uh, you know, that's likely to repeat itself two years in a row on a grand scale that it did last year. I think this Ravens team is dangerous. I think the defense will be a lot more reliable. And if Lamar is Lamar, look the fuck out. Super Bowl number four is the Denver Broncos plus 1,800. 18-1 for the Broncos to win the Lombardi this year. This is a team that's been just a QB away for two or three years now. I even got suckered into believing in them when Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater were playing quarterback. And this is a team that was winning football games with Teddy Bridgewater last year. I think top of my head, they went 7-6 and six with Bridgewater 0-4 with Drew Locke. So you get a competent starter to throw to the really pretty stacked receiving core that this team has. I think they're going to be dangerous. We've seen a trend in the last two years, and I don't want to get completely sucked into recency bias here and narratives, but, you know, it makes, uh, it makes my case here, so I'm going to. Um, we've seen these teams like the Bucks and the Rams just kind of right on the precipice. They're Bucks, very mediocre team, I think 7-9 before Brady shows up and elevates the team into a playoff contender and eventual Super Bowl champ. And then we see what a massive difference in terms of uh, the ability to win games down the stretch for the Rams when they make the upgrade from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford. And, you know, we could talk all days about, you know, Los Angeles conspiracy theories like I like to on this show. But besides the point, we've seen these veteran potential Hall of Fame level quarterbacks come and elevate already decent rosters. And I see this as a very similar situation. My only pause or hesitancy in really going all in on the Broncos is just how loaded that division is, how stacked the entire AFC is, AFC conferences in general and it, so it's tough, you know, to take too many futures in the AFC on, like, win totals and divisional odds and things like that. The, this team is uh, the second favorite, I think, maybe third favorite, uh, pretty much neck and neck there with the Chargers. I think last I checked, Chargers plus 240, Broncos plus 260 on some books. Denver's going to be dangerous. The wide receivers are elite. Cortland Sutton's going to break out this year. I have him on both my fantasy keeper teams here. I didn't really intentionally 
planned that all summer, but it ended up as we got closer to drafts. I just believe more and more in the fact that the Wilson-Sutton chemistry is going to be there immediately, and he could be a touchdown monster this year, especially if you consider that Nathaniel Hackett, you know, coach for this football team, former offensive coordinator from the Packers, they like to throw inside the five-yard line and on the goal line. You, you see how many touchdowns Rodgers throws to guys like Bob Tunyon and Devontae Adams as those big red zone targets. And to me, Sutton's got that potential not to get too far down the fantasy football rabbit hole here. But it translates to how good I think this offense can be. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, three very, very talented with top two NFL draft round capital invested in them. Cortland Sutton's already on his second contract here. They've invested financially in him past his rookie deal. And then the running backs, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, maybe the best one-two punch at running back in the NFL off the top of my head. I mean, between an established veteran like Melvin and a second-year potential breakout smash candidate with Jamal Williams. The defense is good as well. The secondary is absolutely fucking loaded with Patrick Sertan and Justin Simmons back there holding it down. They've got some depth at the corner position as well. And I just think this roster is solid. And I think that this is probably, I think next year the Broncos will be viewed as a, well, this team's making the playoffs. And this, like, we're getting kind of a discount right now because it's Russ's first year in Denver. So I'm all in. I got to grab a piece of Russ in this Broncos team this year. Again, the division's tough. But considering, um, I think, any of those teams that make it out of the AFC West um, due to the fact that they'll be very battle-tested in the regular season, you know, whoever makes it out of that division and gets in, whether it's by winning the division or a wild-card spot, I think that anybody's a live dog coming out of that AFC West. It's loaded this year. So I got one more for you guys here, and, uh, and then we'll be, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> All right, I'll be back. So my last Super Bowl future, not really stepping out on too much of a limb here, guys. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at plus 750. I don't usually bet Super Bowl futures with this low of odds. They're the favorite in the NFC. The only team with lower odds to win the Super Bowl are the Buffalo Bills. And I just talked about how loaded the AFC is this year. I'm not taking teams at the top of the conference like the Bills and the Chiefs. I'm more comfortable taking these middle-of-the-pack contenders that I think have extreme upside and playoff potential, like the teams I've just discussed with the Ravens and the Colts and the Broncos. In the NFC, I've got my long shot with the Saints. And honestly, I wanted to bet the Eagles for a Super Bowl future as well. I think if there's a team that I don't have on this episode that I would recommend, it is the Eagles. I have not bet it because I already have a pretty large investment in the Eagles to win their division. I grabbed that at plus 275 in, uh, in the first week of May, and I have held it all year. I'm an Eagles fan as well, so I'm already extremely invested in them, and I will not be able to emotionally manage um, my, you know, my, my gambling brain and my sports heart um, by trying to hedge an Eagles Super Bowl ticket throughout the playoffs. I just won't do it to myself, so I don't have it. I will say that the Eagles have gone from 34 to one to 20 to one over the course of this offseason. That is indicating um, massive fucking. That's a red flag to me. That's a big time. That's a good red flag as far as go bet on that fucking team because I've talked about their potential to win that division and to you know stockpile regular season wins and, and get a top three seed in that conference all summer. So I will recommend that. Like I said, 
Um, in the NFC, I want some action. I have the Saints as my long shot, and I'm taking the Bucks here because it just feeds into all the narratives. And the roster's stacked, and, you know, okay, first off, Brady goes to the Super Bowl every other year. That's low-hanging fruit, but he just does. And you would say, oh, that's anomalous. But realistically, over, like, 23 years, is it an anomaly already? Or at this point, you know, he, it's just the fact that the guy's got like a 45% chance to go to the Super Bowl in his career. Why wouldn't you want to back on him? I used to, when he was on the Patriots, what I used to do every year would, was I would take the Patriots to win the AFC at like three to one, maybe three and a half to one, like plus 350 would be maybe the best price I could get it. And that seems like it's not really worth it for a future, but when you take into account their almost guaranteed to be in that AFC championship year in and year out, or at least make it to the divisional round. It's almost as safe of a future as you can place. And I almost kind of feel that way with the Bucks here. I mean, I'm not saying that the Rams are not a contender, but there's a possibility that Matt Stafford's elbow falls off halfway through the season. 49ers have question marks with Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, that whole situation. The NFC East, not a powerhouse. Dallas takes a step back this year. Eagles take a step forward, but they're unproven. Can they dethrone, you know, Brady and the Bucks? I just don't know. And so, and the Packers, you know, they lost Devontae. You know, they haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. This Bucks team, to me, they deserve to be the favorite in the NFC. They're loaded. They have all the receivers in the world. Brady's got his drama happening, but I really don't think it affects him on the field. Everybody wants to say, this is the year Brady falls off. This is the year Brady... Like, time and time again, over and over and over, I gotta hear these fucking assholes on ESPN say that this is the year that Brady falls off. And they always want to make the comparison to Peyton Manning. And it drives me crazy. Because, yeah, oh, it even happened to Peyton Manning. It even happened to Drew Brees. Both those guys had fucking massive scale, like, shoulder and neck surgeries going into their final seasons. Peyton Manning was a walking fucking corpse in that last season. He had a strained right calf on his plant leg. Good, good luck getting any f- f- fucking strength into your throwing arm with a strained quadricep in your, in your plant leg. Good luck. Okay, and then he's he's had four career neck surgeries. No shit the guy couldn't throw a football anymore. Has any of that happened to Tom Brady? Outside of the one ACL tear that he had in 2008 where the league immediately went and changed the rules so it wouldn't happen again. Outside of that, does this guy have any significant injury history? Why are we predicting that all of a sudden Brady's arm is going to fall off? The guy takes such fantastic care of himself. He invests so much into his fucking body gurus and his diet and his whole TB12, the whole operation and everything. I mean, why are we just assuming that this guy can't play football anymore just because of a number? I don't care if he's 45. The guy physically is not 45. Okay, he takes good care of his body and he doesn't have injury history. So to me, this roster is loaded. The one concern I have, I suppose, the offensive line has not been healthy. It is not entering the season at full strength. They actually lost both starting offensive guards coming into this season. Ali Marpet retired early and then Alex Kappa signed with the Bengals. Then they also went and lost offensive center Ryan Jensen to a career or a season-ending injury, not a career-ender, hopefully. And starting left guard, uh, can't remember his name, starts with an S. Sorry about it, pal. 
Uh, he's also on IR right now. So they are not only down uh, two starting guards and a starting center, but the, the, the replacement guard is also gone. So that's, you know, in a grand total of four starting offensive linemen that they've, they've lost this offseason. And the way to get to Brady is through internal pass rush pressure. If you can get him, he wants to sit in that pocket and be able to step forward and step up in the pocket into his throws. And if you get him off his spot, that's how you beat him, right? You can see it historically if you dive into the data. His Super Bowl losses and his his Super Bowl losses to the Giants and to the Eagles, those are three teams that, if you look at those rosters, excelled at internal pass rush pressure. Brady's career record against teams who can generate over 40% of, uh, I forget what the fucking stat is. Sorry, guys, this is top of my head. Uh, it's like 40% of pass rushing downs get internal pressure, whatever the fucking stat is. If, if you can get that metric of over 40% internal pass rush pressure against Brady, his career win-loss is horrible. That's how you beat him. Sorry, I don't have the concrete numbers here, guys. This is a lot of top-of-the-head stuff. My point is this Bucks team, is it's set up. The, the offensive line is concerning. I just want to throw a little devil's advocate out there. But if you're telling me that this team is most likely going to be in that divisional round with a home playoff game, and it's Brady's you know swan song here the last year, let's get into conspiracy theories and narratives, guys. I mean, I talked, I've talked about it on other episodes. Why not here? Let's put on the tinfoil hats. The NFL wants to send Brady off into the sunset, don't they? One more ring, you know, yippee Kaye, hoorah, let's all clap for Brady one more time, and now he gets to retire with eight rings. I don't know if he comes back this year to not win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm not saying that Roger Goodell promised him a Super Bowl if he would come back like he's some sort of pro wrestler here. But what I'm saying is I think he is fuck. He's all in every year, but legitimately, like, Brady can't fucking come back after this year. Giselle will chop his fucking dick off if he tries to play football past this season. So it's all or nothing for this Bucks team. I think they realize it. I think they understand their cap situation as well. They have been kicking the can down the road for a few years now. You know, extending vets, bringing guys like Levante David back on a one-year deal, if I remember that correctly. I think they know that the Super Bowl window may be over after this year. So... I'll take one more shot at it. I'll bet on Brady one more time. You know, we'll ride it. So plus 750 for the Bucks. I think you could do a lot worse as far as taking a favorite. To me, it looks like value. It does. And the NFC is so much weaker than the AFC, like I've said. It's just, it's you don't need as much to happen for the Bucks to get to the Super Bowl as you do for the Bills to get to the Super Bowl. As crazy as that sounds. Hope you guys are with me here. So those are my Super Bowl futures. Um, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I will get you a week one episode. I think we're done with episodes, though, as far as our futures, our, our summer recap. I mean, we're doing this two days before kickoff. So obviously some last minute shit here. I'm not going to give you guys specific division winners, things like that. I've basically placed all my actual bets and opinions out here. So we're just going to get ready to pick some spreads on the next episode, I think. So thank you, tune in for that, and of course, ramble on.